Well, good morning once again, and thanks for joining us today at Valley Lights Church. Uh, I actually want to comment on that family sports night real quick that Marie was just mentioning. Um, if you were to help out with that event, you're actually not just helping one event to be successful. You'd actually be helping us accomplish our mission as a church. And uh, that event is, I think what it's going to do and what I'm praying and I really believe it'll do is it's going to help us reach more people. Um, it's going to help us grow. It's going to help us endure and really stay on mission as a church. And if you were around last October, about a year ago, when we did our week-long sports camp, that was, that was actually a five-night deal. This is just a one-time thing, uh, a one-evening event. But when we did that sports camp, there really was a pretty incredible feeling that came from teaming together, everyone, you know, kind of expending ourselves, sweating it out, um, really giving up a lot of time to make something amazing happen. And so there was that real sense of, of teaming and camaraderie that developed from that. I think something similar will happen here. I think at this event that we have coming up in October, you'll have the chance to expend yourselves and to maybe give up some time and some energy and some of your resources, really, to, really an opportunity to pour yourselves into something that's going to go far beyond yourself. Investing in an event like this really has an impact on people that goes beyond ourselves. And uh, an example of this is uh, we just did a baptism last week. And uh, one, of the, one of the people that we baptized was uh, a guy named Stephen. He's part of our church. And he, uh, he actually, he and his wife, Andrea, they found our church from our sports camp last year. They enrolled their grandson in the program. And um, just about a month ago, Stephen committed his life to Christ, and he just got baptized last week, which is so exciting. It's a that was a huge celebration, a real high moment for me last week to see that and some of the others that got baptized. But uh, that's kind of the exciting thing when we pour ourselves out. We actually be a part of the process that God is using to change eternity for people. And so I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity for us to do that again this fall. And if I'm totally honest, the event that we're planning has got me a little bit nervous <laughs> because, you know, sometimes as a church we try to do big things that feels maybe like it's almost out of reach in terms of like what it's required to pull it off. I definitely felt that way last year. Actually, I've, every couple months I feel that way <laughs> in this church. And God keeps providing. Um, but, you know, that, I think even that feeling, like really stretching ourselves, is part of walking by faith as a church to really reach out and do what he wants us to do. So I hope that you'll at least uh, give it a consideration to help us out with that event if you're able to, if you're, if you're even around in town at that time. So as Marie mentioned, today we're starting a new message series called The Financial Squeeze. Man, the squeeze from money. Yeah, the whenever you feel squeezed, it's because you're feeling pressure, not just from one side, not from another, but from a lot of places. You're feeling a lot of pressure on all the different angles. And sometimes you feel that way financially. We've all felt that when unexpected things occur. Maybe once you had an unexpected medical bill or an expensive car repair, man, the AC goes out, and that's like non-negotiable in Santa Clarita. I mean, you've got to get that fixed. Um, your fridge stops working, all that, man, that can just put a lot of pressure. Sometimes you can see the financial squeeze coming when you're getting ready to have your kids go off to college and you're bracing yourself for that. Right now, I think most of us are feeling the squeeze of inflation. What was promised to be a temporary spike in prices is proving to be what seems to be a longer term problem that is squeezing a lot of people. I mean, it's uh, groceries are going way up, you know, things like baby formula, gas. 
I mean, I never thought the other day I paid um, $4.89 for gas. I'm like, can you guys believe this? It's $4.89. This is great. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? This is not great. No, it should not even be this high. I'm like, oh, gosh, is this the new normal? Uh, it's, all, it's like over $5 everywhere, I think. When we're, when we're in the grip of a financial squeeze, you know what you tend to do is you look for two things. You look for advice and you look for help. If you're feeling the squeeze, and where, where do you look for advice and help? In our culture, we look to the experts for advice. And then we tend to, nowadays, we look to the government for help. Didn't always used to be that way, but now we look for the, to the government. And as far as the experts are, are concerned, it's not very clear who they are or how one even becomes an expert. But I saw this interesting article from the New York Times. This was actually just a couple months ago. Uh, article says, I'm always worrying the, the emotional toll of financial stress. And uh, you know, this, this caught my eye. Experts share tips. Okay, financial pressure. Okay, what, are, what, do the ex, what tips do the experts have? And if you look in the article, it, here's, here's what they say. One is embrace self-reflection and communicate with empathy. Okay, kind of get your emotions straightened out. It sounds good. Spend wisely, but don't deprive yourself. Second tip. And then the third tip is explore different types of professional help. So an article on advice from experts tells me to explore getting advice from experts. <laughs> oh my goodness, if we're, if we're uh, only going to look to the experts for advice, then I think we're doomed financially. If you're in the financial squeeze, you want more than just advice. You want real help to get out of that. And help comes in the form of money, right? If you could just get some more money, that could help relieve some of the pressure. So who do we look for to get more money? Well, the government seems to be a source that many people look to nowadays. We even have a term for it. This is a new term in our history as of the past 100 years. Bailout, that's a new term. Historically, this is fascinating. Historically, in our history and world, governments haven't bailed out their citizens or businesses. All of that really changed not that long ago, it was in the Great Depression in the 1930s. You know, it, it, that is a long time, but in the term of history, that's actually not that long ago, with FDR's New Deal. Before that time period, normally it was churches or Christian organizations that helped the poor. So there's this shift that started in the 1900s that has really impacted culture. There's these two huge shifts that we all live with that you might not even realize because it feels normal to you, but the big first shift that occurred is that personal finances became a shared responsibility. That's a, that was a big shift. So what happened is individuals started looking more and more to the government to relieve the squeeze. The most recent example of that that you probably heard on the news is the, the student loan forgiveness plan. That's just a perfect example of this. But you know, back in the 30s after the New Deal, it was only a matter of time before not just people, but businesses got on the shared responsibility plan. <laughs> so in May 1970, Penn Central Railroad appealed to the government for a bailout on the grounds that, hey, we're providing transportation that's vital to the defense of our nation. So this, that was the first government bailout of a business. And that's actually how we ended up with Amtrak. So over the next 37 years from that point to about now, until uh, recently, there will be six more bailouts that totaled $338 billion in today's uh, economy. 
So here's a quick chart that shows, you might not be able to read all this, but you can at least see the trend line of the graph starting back in the 70s, that railroad. And then here's, here's the, the blue line is the bailouts from the government. And um, that really has become the norm over 50 years that businesses look to the government to bail them out. And then in 2008, you know, it got, actually got a lot bigger. That was the last major recession that we've had. And at that time, the government granted businesses seven bailouts totaling $1 trillion, $370 billion. And then, of course, in 2020, we see a huge spike from COVID uh, bailouts. All that to say, why well, I'm taking you on a history lesson, is if you're under the age of 50, receiving government stimulus checks and thing, you know, bailouts is nothing new. That feels normal. That's like how it should be is what it feels like. Government should help me out. I'm, the government owes me, actually. That's, that's what we tend to think or our culture thinks. The second really big shift and this applies to how we see our finances, is that the financial help became depersonalized. So before, when a church or a neighbor or you'd help somebody out financially, well, you'd get to know that person. You'd get to know what their situation was and what, what is the nature of their need and why, why are they in a position why they even need money? But a government can't see every face. People are turned into numbers, and the help, the financial help that's given is just a one-size-fits-all approach that often misses the complexity and the nature of financial need. So I'm not saying that the government shouldn't do anything to help. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have cashed your, your stimulus checks. <laughs> I cashed mine. I'm saying, what I'm saying is there's, these trends have, have really impacted us, and they've impacted the way that we see life. When the government spends more and more to bail us out of every financial squeeze, we're trained to look to the government and not to God. What happens is that we're getting trained to look to sources other than God to bail us out. So we're starting this new series today. And what I want to invite you to consider throughout this series is a totally different bailout offer. I want to present to you an offer that's far bigger and more substantial than any human or government offer. It's a bailout that goes beyond finances and actually impacts well-being in all areas of life throughout the length of your life. It's a bailout offer from God. This is interesting. <laughs> what is God's economic bailout plan? Before, before I do that, I want to I just look at the word bail for a second because we're talking about bailouts. The word bail, what it actually means, to, it means to carry. So when you're bailing water out of a boat, you're, you're using a bucket to carry water. Or when you bail someone out of jail, you carry the money to the courthouse. Or when you bail a person or a corporation out of a, a, a pinch, then you're carrying money to, that, to them. God as it turns out, was in the bailout business long before our government started in the 1930s. So I want you to look at this verse. It's a really interesting verse from Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 4. It says, this is, a, this is God speaking to his people, and he says, I will be the same until your old age, and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. This is God speaking to his people. He said, notice how he says, I made you. This means you are not a self-made individual. So just like you had no uh, influence over your own birth, <laughs> you had no say in the matter, 
just like that happened, you actually have, there's a lot of things in your life that you have no say over. There's a lot of things that happen in and around and to your life that you don't have any, any control over. Situations. And it's in those times that God's offer is to carry us, to bail us out. So how does God bail us out? Does a big hand descend from heaven and then just write on one of those giant cardboard checks? <laughs> no, that's not how he does it. God's working behind the scenes to arrange circumstances, and he sends people to help as well. But there's conditions. If we want God's help, which is far better than any help that we can find in the world around us, if we want his help, there's actually some conditions. That's what this series is all about. I want to actually look at four conditions that God has for his offer to help. Today we're looking at the first condition, and it's that I carry my load means I take personal responsibility for my financial situation. Next week, we'll look at this idea of choosing contentment. The week after that, calm my emotions. Really getting a grip on how I I react, my emotions get all inflamed. And then last, commit to generosity. These are the four conditions to God's offer for financial help. So today, we're going to look at carry my load. That's actually a condition found in Galatians chapter 6. This is a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. And Real simple statement, he says, and God says through Paul, each person will have to carry his own load. But just three verses earlier, God says this, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Two ideas, just a couple verses apart from each other. Okay, so wait, so what is it? So bail each other out or tell everyone, buck up and carry your own weight. What do we do? It actually depends on the circumstance. The word in this letter, the word for load and burden, apply to different situations. A burden is when calamity or trouble comes down on you like an avalanche. You just got buried with just something that's so overwhelming, either financially or physically or emotionally. Man, you're just, you're just buried. This is, this is a burden. You can dig all you want, but if someone doesn't come to help you out, Man, you're not going to make it. So when, when, when we see people that, are, that are, are just buried by life circumstances, we go and help. A load, now this is different. A load is what you're responsible for. The Greek word here is used to describe the day pack that was given to soldiers to carry. You're a soldier, you're strong, put that backpack on and you go for it. No, don't ask anybody else to carry that pack for you. God has given all of us a daily backpack of responsibilities that we need to carry and not expect anyone's going to carry it for us. That's the load in this verse. Basically, what what that verse in Galatians is saying is that God's not going to help us if we don't carry our own load. So where's the line then? Where's the line between load and burden? Well, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a small church in the Greek city of Thessalonica. And the the situation there is that economic times were tough. For that church and the people there. And so in Paul's first letter, Paul talked about Christ's second coming, when Jesus would come back and uh, wrap up history. And apparently after that first letter, some people decided to stop working. Like, oh, okay, well, that means I'm off the hook. I don't have to actually work that hard anymore because Jesus is coming back. And, you know, that's, that's kind of like God's final and ultimate bailout offer. Um, but in chapter three, Paul addresses this and some of these people that just decided to stop working. And so 
what we see in this letter, when we look at a few verses here, that there's really two L's of responsibility. There's a link and there's a limit. So first, the responsibility link. What we're going to see is that there's a link between what we do and what we get. Why, why, is, why is it linked? God has created us with a capacity to play a significant role in what he's doing in the world. So what we do in life or what we don't do, it really matters. We're not just pets created by God, just kind of roll around on the floor and chase our tail and just have a fun time of it. No, we, we are partner material created by God to take action in life. This is actually inspiring to me, this idea that, that God values gives us dignity like that. I mean, if you just look around at what we're, you know, humans are capable of. We build planes and skyscrapers and cars and space shuttles. Not everything that people do is good, certainly not. But it all points to this tremendous capacity that's unique to us as humans. We can do a lot of things. God's designed us and created us to accomplish significant things in the world. And so why, why is it that we can do so much more? Why is it that we have this phenomenal capacity to accomplish? Do, do we just find ourselves at the top of the evolutionary food chain? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that would actually explain the vast capacity difference between us and every other living thing. The difference is that we're made in God's image. That's why we have this amazing capacity for accomplishment. It's kind of why, you know, little kids, they know this. If you have little kids, I've got four kids, and they want to do things all by themselves. <laughs> they know they've got, I can do this. I want to be responsible. You can help them. And then they'll insist that they're going to do it without any help. I've got my youngest is Timothy, and we would always tell him, oh, Timmy, you're going to do it? You want to do it by yourself? And, you know, and since he kept hearing, like, oh, you want to do it by yourself? He's like, oh. And he's like, no help. Me do by yourself. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're going to do it by yourself. Got it. <laughs> Little kids, they think, actually, they can do more than they really can. But what happens, you know, as kids grow into adults, what happens to that noble view of, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear responsibility? Why do so many people not rise to their potential? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that some people are lazy. It's hard. It's hard to reach your potential. Man, that's... It sounds way easier to just sit on the couch. <laughs> well, another reason is that some people get discouraged. Maybe they set out to accomplish and to carry their weight, but man, life is, really is hard. Life really does have trouble, and we all face setbacks. Maybe discouragement comes. Another reason is that sometimes people fall down in life and decide it's just easier to stay down. I'd just rather not get up. So how can you get somebody who has given up to get back on their feet? Could you just encourage them and say, like, come on, you can do it. I know you can do it. Or should you guilt them? Like, what is the matter with you? Well, those methods and other methods actually aren't all that effective. If we need to bear our own weight and our own responsibility in life, we need to take action. If a person's down, there's something, something more is needed. And actually, God has embedded a nobility beacon in the body of every person. Kind of like a, like a flashing light or an alarm that just goes off when we're not doing our own responsibilities. It's a beacon that goes off when someone stops working, and it calls them to pick up their day pack and get moving again. That nobility beacon is called hunger. 
Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.10. This is, this is a, a fan, an amazing principle. It says, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. That's really interesting and actually sounds kind of mean if you think about it. This is, a, this is a mean rule. Why would you feed somebody if they're hungry? Well, this isn't just anyone that's hungry. This is a person who's hungry because they refuse to work. Some people can't work. And if people are in a, are in a situation where they, where they can't work, then we feed them. But if a person won't work, then we don't feed them. Why not? Why, why don't you do this? What, would, what will happen if you don't feed a person? Well, they're going to get hungrier and hungrier. They're like, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> I need to get some money so I can get my life. I, I'm just, I want to eat. If a person can work, then eventually the power of their hunger will become greater than the reason that they're refusing to work. And they'll work so they can eat. And again, we're, we are created by God to partner with him to accomplish great things, not just eat food, more than that, way more than that. And if we lose sight of our nobility, that capacity that God has put in every one of us, it's our hunger that will call us back to our potential and get us moving again. But if someone feeds us at that point, then the beacon that's calling us is turned off and we're devalued as a person. In fact, if we feed or do for somebody, something that they can do themselves, we're basically telling them that they don't really matter in life. We're saying to them, you can just sit there and do nothing, or you can get up and work hard, but either way, you're going to be taken care of. So it doesn't really matter what you do. Our actions may feel compassionate, like, oh, they're hungry. But what we're telling them is what they do doesn't matter, and they don't matter that they're really insignificant in the flow of life, and therefore their, their lack of contribution is insignificant. It doesn't matter. Now, if a person, again, if a person can't work, or if they're buried by an avalanche of tragedy, like I was saying earlier, like there's that burden in Galatians, then certainly we rush in to help. Absolutely. But if a person won't pick up their date pack, then we step back and let hunger do its great work. So that's the, that's the, the responsibility link, link between what we do and what we get. There's another thing, the responsibility limit. Now here's, here's the way that God designed it. I'm responsible for my own choices, not for other people. It's really not helpful for us to take on the loads of others. So the, the way personal responsibility goes, it's personal. It's personal to me. It's just, you know, I'm responsible for myself. You are responsible for yourself. Second Thessalonians 3.6 says, um, Paul, Paul writes, he says, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. This verse sounds mean too. It says, put distance between you and someone who will not take responsibility for their own life. Why? Why would you do this? Because the irresponsible person can only exist if someone else will come through for them. Really, the common turn for this is to enable them. For an irresponsible person, this verse is, a, is not a call to help. This is a call to not help. Now again, this feels really harsh. Should I really put distance between me and another person in my life? If we do come through for somebody who's in a predicament because of their own irresponsibility, there's two negative results. One is that 
we help them and then we reinforce their make-believe world. It may feel like short-term help, but it's actually really unhelpful in the long term for that person. The second negative result is that we end up carrying an adult. We don't have the strength to do that. We don't have the strength to do that for long, and God has not promised to help us as we carry someone else's day pack. In the process of carrying somebody else, that means I have to put down my work that God has given me to do, and the result becomes a bigger mess in my own life. A few verses later from this, we learn something else about our limit on responsibility. Verse 11, it says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. <laughs> Such people we command to urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. So basically, what's said here is that, you know, we all we run into obstacles. As we work, work is hard, trouble is difficult, and hard things happen. When we run into the wall of opposition, we tend to respond in a few different ways. One way that people respond is sometimes to become idle, meaning I stop structuring my days. I mean, we, we, we need to actually plan our days to be productive. If our plans are thwarted, then we can get discouraged and we just stop trying. Like, why should I even try? Another res result is sometimes people turn disruptive. The word here in this, in this uh, verse means to stop working with others and to withdraw. We have this amazing capacity from God, and it's, and it's multiplied. Our capacity gets even bigger when we're teaming with others. But teaming is risky. Working with others is, is pretty difficult. Sometimes people wrong us. Sometimes when that happens, we become a victim and we, we forget our ability to respond. People become disruptive. And then third, sometimes people become busy bodies. So the word busy means to work. <laughs> but to be a busy body is to work on something that you're not responsible for. Namely, other people. The work of a busy body is usually verbal. A busy body is always talking about what someone else did or what they should do, what they shouldn't have done, or what they should be working on. And, and all of that leaves very little to no time for us to focus on what I should be doing. So this is another form of the victim mindset. The more we talk about what other people do, the more we see ourselves as weak victims of the circumstance rather than powerful agents who accomplish things for God. So this, this dynamic, just to kind of give an example of this, this, this can happen to me if I'm if I'm watching too much news or what's going on in our world or, or talking about politics for too long, I can get madder and madder about what other people are doing or shouldn't be doing all around in the, in the world around me. I didn't decide to flood the economy with $5 trillion in money that contributed to inflation. This is crazy. And the anger in whatever situation, it can come from the fact that I was not created to be a victim with no power to do anything about my life. So what should I do? Well, the verse, it tells us. So as such people, we command and urge in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to settle down and earn the food they eat. It's like Paul was saying, hey, listen, I know that you were wronged or that you've been blocked. Circumstances are not going your way. Calm down and get back to what you can do. Stop focusing on all the things you can't control. Get back within the limits about what you're responsible for. Stop trying to fix the things you have no control over and therefore no responsibility for. The word responsible 
It comes from two parts, a word meaning respond and able, responsible. We are able to respond. No matter what happens to us, we can choose what we do. We can, we can, take a, we can get a grip on our life and move it forward. We're not able to respond to everything because we're not responsible for everything. We're limited. God's just given us a slice to be focused on. So when that financial squeeze comes, maybe you're feeling that squeeze, and there's the pressure there. And man, you get so worked up or frustrated or get discouraged. We can ask the question, well, what can I do? And start doing that. What, what, what can we do? The baseline action is, well, I can earn money for the food that I eat. <laughs> I can get out there and work and pay the bills for us to live. I can do that. So let the homing beacon of hunger call you back to what you are responsible for and get back to carrying your own load. We've really got to refuse the lie that if negative things happen to me or around me, then I'm no longer responsible. I didn't ask for this. These people put me in this situation. So I, I'm, I'm powerless. I just can't do anything about it. That's a lie. Got to refuse that lie. When bad things are happening or the squeeze is there, it just means, hey, I'm limited in what I can do. So within my limits, I'm going to take action in a way that's going to invite God's blessing and his help. You may have come to this financial series um, curious. Maybe you're curious about, hey, how, how, how do I deal with the financial pressure in my life? And if that's you, let me, I would actually suggest three practical action steps that you can take. And by the way, before I get to that, I do want to say, we had talked earlier about that financial seminar that's coming up. Marie had mentioned that. The difference between this series and the seminar is that this series is really going to be focused a lot on biblical principles for how we're supposed to see, how, how's our perspective supposed to be shaped and how we see life and money and work. This seminar is actually a lot more practical dives into things like budgets and how do you work out a financial plan, how should you set goals, things like that. And so I'm, I think it'll be really helpful. Um, but three, three perspectives that lead to an action step. Some of the ways that we can bear responsibility. One is to excel in your field. I don't know what your job is or where you work, but you might develop your skills or your education. One way we can earn even more is to receive promotions and really the way we do that is by adding value to whatever business we're working at. Everybody wants to be paid more, but it's a rare person who takes the initiative to develop themselves where they're at currently. You've got dignity before God. You were made to increase your capacity. Maybe you feel like you're pushed to your limit, but guess what? God has made you to even grow your ability and your skills and your knowledge and your understanding. You can grow for the entirety of your life. That's motivating. And God can really help you grow in your current profession. Another thing you might do practically is to expand your responsibility. Now, if you, if you have a gap between what I'm making and what my expenses are, you usually gotta figure out is it, is it an expense problem or is it an income problem? It might be both. But if you're thinking more on the income side, how, the question is how can I make more to cover my family? How can I expand my feeling of responsibility? Instead of freaking out, I don't have enough, or going passive, I'll never make up the bills, or just letting laziness set in, we can ask, what's needed? What's it going to take for me to cover myself and my family? 
I'm going to do whatever's needed. I'm going to get out there and I'm just going to do it, even if I have to work way harder than I'm, I am right now. You can actually see that as an opportunity. I know this idea of like working harder sounds like no fun. <laughs> and it can feel like, man, the inflation ugh, is the enemy, society that we're in right now, the politicians around us, the housing market, it feels like all of this is the enemy. The financial squeeze that you may be in right now is not the enemy. Your hunger that's motivating you to work is not the enemy. All of this is God's agent of change. God has put all of us in circumstances to motivate us to grow. You might look back at this season, if you do respond and you really do develop and grow and your capacity builds, you might look back at this season as a life-changing opportunity where you dug deep, you hung in there, and your capacity to work hard has really grown. And then your life experiences a lot more blessing because of it. Another way you might respond is to endure the weight of your responsibility. It might not be enough to hang in there for a week. It might not be enough to hang in there for a month. It may take a lot longer than that. You may have to endure for a long time. The road to the future is paved by faithfulness. You might be in the tightest squeeze of your life right now. You might have a very difficult job. You might have a really difficult boss. But God's the one that's fully in charge. He's actually the one that puts your boss over you. He's the one that put that person in your life. God knows your boss, and he knows you. And God's watching. And he's watching if you'll bail. This attitude of accepting personal responsibility, this really is the first step toward overcoming the financial squeeze. And so I started at the beginning talking about bailouts. In our current economic environment, people might be looking for bailouts, like, oh, just, where's the next check? Or like, let, me, let the government just roll it in. How can, how can my life get easier without having to work hard? Is really the question. As we've seen, God has promised to provide the help that we really need, but it comes when we work hard. And actually, this, I find this very motivating, is that we rise to bear responsibility because God has given us the privilege of working as partners. What a joy. What a joy to know that God has bestowed on us inherent dignity and worth. God invites us to work with him in the world. God is accomplishing some really big things throughout history, and he invites us to take a part in that. He gives us difficult but meaningful work to do. So what we do or what we don't do, it really matters. We're partners created by God to take action in life. He calls us to be responsible and to carry our packs because he values us. So next week, we're going to look at the second condition to God's offer for help. I really hope that you'll consider coming back to join us next week because we'll be spending the next three Sundays unpacking more insights from God's Word that can provide the help that we need in, in setting our perspective and then taking wise steps forward into the future. You know, the, the cool thing is that when we take time to look at what God says about money and work, it's, it's, it's amazing because it's actually, the, the Bible is God himself reaching into your life, giving the input. He's providing the real help that we need through his word. God knows you, and he knows your situation. He knows the pressure that you're feeling in this and maybe other areas of life. 
So I'm really glad that you've joined us today for the start of this series. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that after service. I'll be towards the back of our room here. Remember to fill out that connection card before they come around for those offerings. I'd love to send you a thanks for joining us today as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your guidance through the word, through the word that you've given us, the Bible. And um, you provide the help that we need. You've, you've really promised to be faithful to us, to help us through life. And you do expect some things from us. You expect obedience, attention, and careful attention to your word. Would you give us the courage and the motivation uh, to continue working in a way that pleases you? Pray for your help. Um, and if anyone actually is in uh, experiencing that avalanche of trouble and truly is burdened, I pray that you'd provide the help to that person in that life. Would you even maybe use our church to be a help, a source of encouragement or practical help in that way, Lord? And for, for those of us where we've, uh, we're challenged to carry our daily loads, would you uh, give us the grace to do that well? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.